And I'm excited to be with you this morning. I want to bring a message to you today um, that I hope helps you. I hope you walk out of here different than you walked in. That's my goal. Uh, we should get together and be in the presence of Jesus and walk out changed. Because when you read your Bible, anytime somebody ran into Jesus, they walked away changed. Right? So you might have walked in here with some not so good stuff, but you can walk out changed, right? My family and I, we love um, documentaries. We love to watch documentaries. We've been on this quest to find as many good documentaries as we can. Uh, one of our favorites recently was The Food That Built America. How many of you have anybody ever seen that documentary? I would encourage you to watch that documentary. It's super cool. There's another one that's just like it. It's called The Men That Built America. And, and it's really good. And it talks about a lot of these big brand names that we, that we just take for granted today. We don't even think about these big name brands like Kraft and McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken and Hershey's Chocolate. Come on, somebody. And I'm feeling anointing already. And, and we don't even think about where that came from. But this one documentary we watched, The Food That Built America, what I quickly realized is that those guys who were creating something from nothing had a lot of failure. And they failed a lot. One particular guy, uh, Milton Hershey, who's responsible, he's the creator and founder of Hershey's Chocolate. Come on, we thank God for Milton, right? That's the best Milton I know. <laughs> Sorry if your name's Milton and you're not my favorite, but it's going to be all right. But Milton Hershey had a vision to make chocolate in America, milk chocolate. At the time that he decided to do this, the only good chocolate you could get was from England. So only the wealthy people could afford good chocolate. Milton had a vision to, to bring chocolate to America, to create it himself. He would be the first one to create milk chocolate, and then he would make it affordable for everyone to enjoy. Come on, somebody think about the poor folk, right? And so he, he's quite a, a man. He's, he's a visionary he's got some serious courage. Uh, this guy is, he just, like he doesn't even have the chocolate recipe yet. And he starts to build the factory to make the chocolate that he doesn't even have a recipe for. And then he goes beyond that and he starts to, to build housing around the factory just for his employees. Nobody had ever done this. Like who does that? Who builds housing for your employees to work in a factory to make something that you don't even have a recipe for. But he had a vision. <laughs> and so he's struggling to create the recipe. And the factory's almost at completion. The housing's almost at completion. And he finds himself under a lot of pressure. And so far, it's been one failure after another, after another, after another, until right before the factory was finished and the housing was complete, he finally did it. He created what we now know as the Hershey chocolate bar, milk chocolate, created it, and pulled himself out of financial crunch, became very famous. His work was so incredible that they, there's a town in Pennsylvania called Hershey, Pennsylvania, where he started. I came here today to tell you, and I shared that story with you, to tell you, don't quit. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're believing God for. I don't know what you're trying to create. I don't know what you're striving for. Don't quit. I had a young guy in my children's church years ago, and he Grew up to be a teenager. He was great in children's church. This cat could, could recite scripture by memory. He was just incredible, just a blessing to have in children's church. And he became 19 and 20 years old, and he got off in the wrong way. He started dabbling with drugs, hanging out with the wrong people, and his life started to take a detour. One particular year when he's 19, he finds himself getting in trouble back to back to back to back. Busted with this, caught with that. Until finally it comes to a, to a point where he, he gets caught breaking and entering into somebody's house and stealing their vehicle. And he finds himself in jail. And we'd all been praying for him and 
praying with his dad and believing God that his life would turn around. And one of my spiritual grandfathers, brother Cletty Keith, called up this young man's father and said, hey, I want you to deliver a message to him for me. He needs to hear this. He said, you tell that boy, failure is never final with God. And so the title of my message today is failure is never final. I wanna use the story of Peter today. I wanna, I wanna talk about Peter because Peter was, was a great man. Peter had some incredible portions in the scriptures where it just tells crazy things about Peter. He's a very adventurous guy. Peter is a fisherman. So he's, a, he's like us. He's a down-to-earth, normal folk. He wasn't, anyway, I'm gonna stop. He was just a fisherman, and, and when Jesus called him, he dropped his nets and followed after Jesus immediately, the Bible said. Now, that's a response to a call. Come on, somebody. Peter was loud. Peter was outspoken. He spoke out of turn. He was rude. Peter didn't have much home training. Or to make you feel better about your kids. No, I'm joking. He was adventurous. Peter was an all or nothing kind of guy. He was either all in or he was all out, one or the other. Peter quickly gets closer to Jesus than most of the other disciples. Peter's the first one to get a revelation of who Jesus really is, the Messiah. Peter's the only guy who has the audacity to ask Jesus if he can walk on water too. Think about that. All 12 of those guys sitting in that boat, and the only one that thinks of, I mean, he's the only one that even thought of walking on water. But the rest of them are like, man, that's cool. Jesus is walking on water. Peter's like, I can do that. He has the audacity to walk on water, and he does. Yet Peter gets rebuked by Jesus more than the rest of his friends. <laughs> Peter's name is called by Jesus more than the rest of the disciples in a good old rebuke. The thing I love about Peter is he didn't let correction take him off of his course in life. He didn't get offended by correction. He didn't get offended when he got rebuked in front of everybody else. Jesus called him Satan one day and Peter kept following him. Question, can you be corrected? <laughs> and keep following Jesus. Yet Peter stayed. He stayed with Jesus as far as we can read. He stayed with Jesus all the way through the arrest into the, to, into the town where Jesus starts to get interrogated. We know that, that Peter followed Jesus there. The Bible doesn't tell us if Peter was at the cross. The Bible does tell us that Peter went back fishing. And here's a little side note for you. Anytime you feel the temptation to go do what you used to do, you need to check yourself because you might be backsliding. Anytime you get the temptation to act like you used to act, you might be backsliding. Peter, we know, went back fishing and some of the other disciples went along with him. So I want to show you how this happened. I want us to see today how Jesus saw Peter before this failure. And then I want to wrap the message up with showing you how Jesus saw Peter after his failure. Mark chapter 14 they're on their way to the Mount of Olives and Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said this to them. He said, all of you will desert me for the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But, I, but after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Now the story could have stopped right there. That could have been the end of the story. He could have told his disciples, you're all gonna scatter, you're all gonna fall away, you're all gonna deny me, you're all gonna walk away. I don't worry about it. When God raises me from the dead, I'll meet you in Galilee. That could have been it. The end of the story right there wouldn't have gone the direction the story goes. Jesus still goes to the cross. Everything still happens, but you don't get this interjection of Peter's story. Because you see, Peter <laughs> was loud. And Peter was outspoken. This may give some of you parents some hope. You got one that's a little bit loud you got one that's a little bit outspoken. Peter made it. They're going to make it too. Come on, somebody. They're going to make it too. Don't shut them down. 
They're going to make it. They just might be in trouble more than the rest. <laughs> yeah. Verse 29, Peter said to him, listen to this, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I'll tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No. The Bible says, Peter says no emphatically. No. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And then all the others vowed the same. Attaboy, Peter, you just led everybody else into some <laughs> trouble. Once again, Peter lets his mouth overload his flesh. And even though Peter had been following Jesus for a while now, he still had some things that needed to be worked out. Anybody been following Jesus for a little while? You got some things need to be worked out? Yeah, you better raise your hand or that might be what needs to be worked out because you think you all that in a bag of chips. Peter had some things that still needed to be worked out. He trusted his own ability more than he understood that he has limitations. Look at your neighbor and say, you're limited. That was weak, just like the first service. <clears throat> I'll give you a chance to say something in a safe environment and you don't say it. He trusted his own ability more than he understood his limitations. I want you to hear this today. Peter used some dangerous words. I, no Lord, I. Be careful anytime you start to declare I, God might be getting ready to show you something about I. Amen? So no matter how good our intentions are, we still have limitations. Jesus knew something that Peter didn't. And I'm here to tell you today, God knows something about you that you don't. The question is, is do you trust him with it? Jesus is about to show Peter his limitations. Make no mistake, Peter put himself in this situation. Jesus didn't cause the situation, Peter did. He did with his mouth. But Jesus used it to teach him something. So they're, they're, they're in the garden. Here comes Judas, here comes the soldiers. Peter just makes this crazy declaration. Jesus tells him that a rooster's gonna crow and everything's gonna fall apart. And the soldiers come and they have swords and Peter happened to have a sword. And here's the funny thing about when we make declarations out of the flesh. When we make declarations out of the flesh, God will allow us an opportunity to have to prove our declarations. Mm -hmm. He gonna put you in a spot where you're gonna have to prove your declaration. So watch this, Peter overreaches. Remember, he just makes the statement. Now his body gotta back up what his mouth just did, right? So the soldiers are coming, one of them grabs Jesus, Peter's gotta prove his words, right? He pulls his sword out, cuts the guy's ear off, he gets rebuked again. Like even in the middle of a fight, Peter gets rebuked. Jesus has to put the guy's ear back on. Jesus gets hauled into the city, into the inner courts of the city, and he, he starts to get interrogated. And the Bible says that Peter's waiting outside the, the inner courts, and he's just hanging out with people. And while he's there, people start to recognize him as one of the ones who had been with Jesus. And then Peter starts to deny Jesus. First time, I don't know the guy. Second time, I don't know him. Third time, he goes next level and he starts to swear that he doesn't know him. And then all of a sudden, a rooster crows. You ever wonder what's up with the rooster? Like, why a rooster? Like, of all the things Jesus could have used, why a rooster? One guy told me in the first service, he's, after the first service, he said, it was a wake-up call. Yeah, I agree, it was a wake-up call because when the rooster crowed, Peter woke up. 
So I'm not saying I have the answer to why Jesus used the rooster, but I do have a good idea about roosters. I've owned several roosters before, and they're aggravating. Come on, somebody. Especially if your neighbor's got a rooster and you don't. <laughs> yeah, you're going to slip over there and make a little gumbo. Here's a couple of things I learned about a rooster. I just want to give you something just to maybe chew on in your quiet time. One of the reasons roosters crow is to declare their dominance over the rest of the flock. So Jesus chose to use the rooster. Jesus said, Peter, the third time you deny me, the rooster's going to crow. Well, when a rooster crows, he's not just hanging out with everybody else, just kind of giving a little... The rooster, if you ever watch a rooster, gets up on something high and he pokes his old chest out and he picks his head up and he lets out the biggest aggravatingness. What's really funny is to hear a new rooster learn his voice. You will laugh your tail off at that, I promise you. But a rooster gets up on something high to declare his dominance over everything else. What if Jesus used the rooster to remind Peter that he's the king and Peter's not? Watch Matthew chapter 26. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Wow. <laughs> Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. Watch this. And then Peter went away. He walked away. And the Bible says he did that weeping bitterly. In that moment, Peter's faced with his limitations. He runs headfirst into his weakness. He starts to realize my good intentions weren't enough to keep me on course. My words aren't strong enough to keep me on course and keep me from failure. Peter starts to realize I can't stay loyal. He starts to realize some other things. He can't keep his word. He's got weaknesses. He's got a lack of courage. He thought he was big bad Peter until Jesus set him up. He realized he had a lack of faith. Peter was crushed in this moment. He was probably embarrassed and shame-filled and saddened. Here's another reason roosters crow. Another reason roosters crow is because they look out over the flock. They protect the flock. So sometimes a rooster will crow to, to bring attention to a predator that may be nearby. So sometimes they let out a big old cock-a-doo-doo-doo to tell everybody else that there's an enemy around. I wonder if Jesus used the rooster to make Peter aware that, bro, you failed, but you better watch the enemy's coming to get you. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the enemy of your soul is just going to stand there and let you recover? Do you think he's going to give you some kind of grace? He don't even have grace. He don't have grace to give. He can't give you grace because he don't own it. When you fall, he's jumping on you like a, a bass on a June bug. He wants to destroy you. He wants to take you out. He don't play fair. I guarantee you, as soon as Peter said those words and he starts to walk away, weeping bitterly, he starts to hear the lies of the enemy flooding into his mind all of a sudden. I believe he heard some things like this. You failed. It's over. I bet he heard you've gone too far this time. Jesus knew you were a failure. He told you ahead of time. I wonder if you've ever heard this one when you failed. You'll never get it right. You'll never get it right. Anybody hear any of those? I bet Satan was licking his lips going, boy, I got this one. I got Jesus's rock. Mm-hmm. He did all of that in an attempt to make Peter's failure final. And he's doing the same thing with you. But you got a bald-headed pastor that loves you enough to tell you, 
and try to convince you that your failure is never final. It's never final. If you got breath in your lungs, your failure is not final. Let me give you a few quick lessons from the fall, from the failure. These is only four lessons that I pulled out. I'm sure there's plenty more. The first lesson I believe Peter learned is that his intentions and his words alone are not enough to keep him from failure. Even though intentions are good and your good positive words are good and they help, they're not enough to keep you from failure. Let me explain why. Because if you just give your good intentions and you just use your words, it's still just you. Peter, Peter quickly realized that my good intentions and my words couldn't keep me from failure. I must need something more. I must need the power of the Holy Spirit because my flesh is weak. Good intentions are great. Words are good. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the weaknesses and limitations of our flesh. I don't know about you, but I need Jesus and I need his power and I need the Holy Spirit every single day, all day long. I believe the second lesson Peter learned was his flesh was very weak. Come on, somebody. You ever fail and realize, golly, I'm weak. Third lesson I believe he learned is that Jesus knows me better than I know myself. <laughs> Boy, some of y'all might need to get that today. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. That's why it's not good for you to be the captain of your ship. You want me to say that with a smile on my face? <sighs> Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. You see, part of Peter's problem is he thought more of himself and less of what Jesus thought about him. What he thought about himself had more power over his life than what Jesus thought about him. Does that make sense? One day you're going to have to start realizing what Jesus thinks about you and it's going to cancel out what you think about yourself. Fourth lesson I think Peter learns is failure hurts. <laughs> Come on, somebody. It hurts. It is just painful. It hurts. So Peter failed miserably. You know, sometimes some of us try to live to not fail. The thing I admire about Peter is Peter lived even though he failed. You hear that? Some people live and their only goal is to not fail. Like just don't fall, just don't fall, just don't fall. Whatever you do, don't fall, don't look down, don't fall. That's not living. That's fear of failure. The thing I love about Peter is he wasn't afraid to fall. He lived even though he failed. Does that help somebody? So let's look at Jesus's perspective of Peter. And I want you to understand something. It's very important to know what Jesus thinks about you before you fall. And it's very important to know what Jesus thinks about you after you fall. Very important, equally important to know what he thinks about you before and even what he thinks about you afterwards. So let's look at Jesus's perspective of Peter. We're going to back the story up to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then Simon Peter gives this answer. He says, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Now up until this point, no one had made this declaration outside of the prophets and John the Baptist, who was a prophet. No one had made this declaration. Peter is the first disciple of Jesus to get this revelation and to make this declaration. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responds, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. 
and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now watch this. God must have trusted Peter. Because Peter was the only one to get this revelation. God must think pretty highly of you if he trusts you. Maybe I'll tell this side. That side didn't believe me. God must think pretty highly of you if he trusts you. Peter's the first one to get the revelation. Then Jesus speaks prophetically over him. You are the rock. And upon you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. <laughs> what a word. I'm going to build the first church ever built on top of you, Peter, because you got this revelation from God and not from man. Peter would get the opportunity to share this revelation quickly on the day of Pentecost. Peter would be the man God uses to bring the gospel to all kinds of different races. Peter was used by God to break relational, I mean, racial division. Did you hear that? Peter was used by God to break racial boundaries. You, by the way, you don't break racial boundaries with politics and policies. You break racial boundaries with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And God used Peter to break those racial boundaries. Peter was one of the closest ones to Jesus and he went further with Jesus than many of the other disciples did. I want you to hear this today. God's plan for your life are more important than your failures. You know what's funny about God is he doesn't prioritize our failures like we do. I believe we give our failures way too much attention. I believe we put them way too high on a pedestal. I believe God looks at our failures and say, yeah, I knew you was going to do that. Get up, let's keep going. Because his plans are more important than our failures. So that's how Jesus saw Peter before the fall. He's the rock. I'm building my church on this guy. This is my man. My man, Peter. He got this revelation from heaven. He's doing what I've been doing. Come on, you seeing it? This is my man, Peter. That's how he sees him before the fall. Now, some of you have the mindset and the view of God that once you fall, all that changes. Some of you, some of you submit to failure so much that once you fail, you think that God changed his mind about you. Newsflash, God didn't change his mind about you. When he decided he loved you, that can never be changed. When he decided to use you, it will never be changed. So let's look at Peter's restoration because he failed. How many of you would say <laughs> he failed miserably? Peter goes fishing, Jesus goes to the cross. Peter goes fishing. He went back to what he knew before. He brought a couple of disciples along with him, including John. And the story reads that they're out fishing, been fishing all night, it's early morning, and they're a couple hundred yards from the shore, and they hadn't been catching anything. All of a sudden, they see somebody standing on the shore, and that person hollers out to them, hey, throw your nets on the right side. When Jesus said that, that was the second time he had done that just like he had done it before. Don't tell me God don't know how to call you back. John goes, hey, Pete, that's Jesus. Peter goes straight Forrest Gump on everybody. He bails out the boat. I mean, come on, you know what I'm saying. 
Forrest is riding the shrimp boat down the bayou, sees Lieutenant Dan on the, on the deck, right? Hey, Lieutenant Dan! And he jumps out the boat, and the boat keeps going, right? That was Peter. Every time I think about this part of Peter's life, I think about Forrest Gump. It's, a, it's just like the, the best description. Peter goes Forrest Gump. He jumps out of the boat. As far as I know, Peter hadn't seen Jesus beyond this point. Maybe he saw him. Maybe there wasn't something that happened. The Gospels read a little bit different. But, but Peter sees Jesus, and it, it gets him so good, he bails out the boat. By the way, this is the second time Peter left the boat to follow Jesus. You may have to do it more than once. Peter, I believe, comes to the shore and in my own imagination, him and Jesus have a moment. I'll tell you my opinion. I don't think Peter walked up and Jesus goes, I told you. The reason I think this is because he's never done that to me. He's never done that to me after my failures. People do it to us all the time, but Jesus never did it to him. I believe Peter embraced Jesus and Jesus embraced Peter and Jesus said, boy, it's good to see you, Pete. And Peter said, man, it's good to see you, Jesus. You're alive. And the Bible says that Jesus has breakfast prepared. That's just a beautiful image of our relationship with him. He wants to sit down in your life and eat a meal with you. Can you sit long enough to eat a meal with him? Or are you satisfied with McDonald's drive through breakfast with Jesus? At this point, I guess you could say that Peter and Jesus are good. I mean, because like Jesus didn't knock him back to the boat. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus punched him in the nose. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus made him die. They embraced, the Bible says, and they, they, they hugged it out. You, you would, you would, so I guess the general consensus is that Peter and Jesus are good, right? Right, wouldn't you think they're good? Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. Let's see. Because sometimes, I know this to be true in my own life, on the flip side of my failure, I run to Jesus because I know the word. The word says, if you confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you and then to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, which means this, that all your sin that you were involved in, when you confess it, he forgives it and then he washes it down the drain never to remember it again, right? And so sometimes I stop short. Sometimes I confess, I ask him to forgive, I ask him to cleanse, I thank him for cleansing and I get up and I go on about my business. But what if he wanted something more? What if he's after something more today? Because I want to show you something in Peter's life that I believe is the most important thing I'll probably say today. I believe Jesus wanted something from Peter before Peter could move on. Jesus, as they're finishing up breakfast I imagine the conversation was rich. Jesus starts to go after Peter in a conversation. He starts to drill Peter with some questions. Now you need to understand how this thing's written. Jesus comes after Peter. He didn't call out anybody else. This isn't a general conversation for the whole group. This is for the guy who opened his mouth and said he would never deny him. The same guy he said would build, he would build his church on. Jesus starts to engage Peter and he starts to come after him because I believe Jesus was trying to draw something out of Peter. So watch this. The first time Jesus says, do you love me? Remember that? And what did Peter say? Yes, I love you. When Jesus asked the question, do you love me? He was using the, the word love in the form of agapeo. It's a love of commitment. Like, will you commit to me? And Peter says, yes, I love you, Lord. Peter was using the form of the word love, phileo, which means like a friend. So Jesus is saying in the first time, he's saying, Peter, do you love me enough to commit to me? Peter says, yes, Lord, like a friend. 
Jesus comes back, he says, Peter, do you love me? Uses the same form, agapeo, and he means, are you willing to do whatever I ask you to do? And Peter's response is, phileo, yes, Lord, I love you like a friend. So up to this point, Jesus is saying, Peter, will you commit to me? And Peter, are you willing willing to do whatever I want you to do, go wherever I want you to go, no matter what? And Peter's response was, yes, Lord, I love you like a friend. And then the third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus flips the word love, and instead of using agapeo, he uses the word phileo. Do you love me like a friend? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, I love you like a friend. You could say Peter and Jesus were good before Jesus engages him in this conversation. And I think that would be a general consensus. Yeah, Peter and Jesus are good. But let me ask you a question. You ever have a dear friend that hurts you? And y'all had some beef? You know what that is, right? Beef? Mm-hmm. Y'all had some beef. In other words, you started talking about each other, having arguments in your mind about one another, blah, blah, blah. And you went off on this rail and you didn't, you didn't want to go there, but you went there. And then you, now all of a sudden y'all are bickering and you're not friends anymore. And then you, if you're godly, then you'll, you'll, you'll say, okay, I'm sorry, I messed up. I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have did that. I shouldn't have done this. And if you're not careful, y'all can be good, but you might not be friends like you were before. You see that? Ever have that happen to you? Like, we're good. Yeah, we won't punch each other, but like, we're just not friends like we used to be. You see, Jesus wasn't satisfied with just being good with Peter. Jesus was drawing something out of Peter. You got to see this today. Because when Jesus restores us, he's drawing something out in us. He's drawing something from within us. He's drawing out a commitment. He wants to know, will you commit to me? He's drawing out a willingness. Are you willing to do whatever I ask you to do? No matter what. Because you see, Jesus doesn't give away friendship very easily. Because he's wholly committed to us and he's fully willing to do anything that we need done. Jesus is committed and he's willing to us and he's asking the same commitment and willingness from us. And the question remains today, are you committed to Jesus and are you willing to do whatever he asks you to do? No matter what. Because that's the kind of restoration that Jesus loves. Jesus is looking for a genuine commitment. He's looking for that willingness. And he's looking for the friendship to be restored. You know, when people hurt you and you're trying to restore the relationship, you get caught up in this thing. They hurt me once, well, they hurt me again. Can I trust them? Are they trustworthy? Can it be like it was before? Can it even be better? Jesus isn't going to stop short. He wants full restoration and he's committed to it and he's willing to do whatever it takes. And I want you to think about this today. On the backside of Peter's greatest failure, he doesn't get rebuked. On the backside of Peter's greatest failure, he doesn't get rebuked he gets invited into a friendship. Did he deserve it? Heck no. Did he earn it? Nope. Was he worth it? You better believe it. Because last time I checked, God doesn't give anything that ain't worth it. You see... We don't understand how God sees us. 
we don't know what he thinks about us. We're trying to understand, we're trying to get a revelation, but watch this, as life goes and failure comes, if you'll realize that failure's never final, but it may just be an opportunity to get closer to Jesus than ever before, you'll start looking at failure a little bit different. Well, what are you saying, pastor? Is it okay to fail? Well, yeah, it's okay to fail, but don't go try. Because <laughs> yeah, I know how some of y'all, some of y'all still got a little hood in you. You heard, you heard oh, that's, I can go partay. I can go buck wild. Pastor Jamie said, I could fail. Jesus is going to always be there for me. You're abusing grace now. That's not what I'm saying. You don't have to try to fail. Trust me. Failure is looking for you, right? You don't even need to wake up and say, you know, I just might fail today. Don't even say that because it's going to happen already. At times in my life, I've been caught up in habitual failure. That's where my failures become a habit. And those are some of the hardest ones to go through. Because the enemy will start to convince you, well, this is just my life. I'll just wrestle with this all the rest of my life. One time I heard the enemy say, well, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Maybe this is your thorn in the flesh. Lie from the pit of hell. This ain't my thorn in the flesh. This is failure. God pulls me out of failure. I'm not satisfied with this. I'm not... I'm not coming to a place of contentment with the failure and think that I'm going to live this way the rest of my life. How did you get out of it, Pastor Jamie? How did you, how did you get over that habitual failure? I'm going to tell you what I didn't do. I didn't strain enough. I didn't use enough of my muscles. I didn't have enough brain power. I couldn't muster up enough self-control out of my own self to overcome my habitual sin. You know how I overcame? I got a revelation one day of how much God loves me. You know, sometimes failures come far and few between. Sometimes they come back to back to back. I'll never forget this one moment. Failure came back to back to back to back. And every time I failed, I said, because I know the word, I said, Lord, I sinned. Would you please forgive me? And would you cleanse me? And he did. And he restored me. And he asked me, do you love me? And he restored me and I got back up. But then I failed again. And then I got back up and then I failed again. And I was expecting him to go, okay, that's it, bro, I'm done with you. Just like people would do to us, right? Like, okay, that's it. I kept waiting for one more time, Jack, and it's over with. You get one more chance, little buddy, and you're done with. He never said that. Instead, he kept picking me up. And you know what I realized? His love for me is stronger than my, in, my ability to fall. His love for me is stronger than my weakness or my greatest strength that I think I have. His love for me is so strong. You might would think, well, a good crack in the head would have done you some good. Believe you me, I cracked myself in the head plenty of times because I felt like a failure. It never worked. It was the love of God that pulled me out. It's the love of God that still pulls me out today. Jesus pulled a commitment out of Peter that Peter would need to go forward. Now think about this. Jesus never mentions the failure. He never even talks about the rooster again, though I bet the rest of the guys made some jokes. Jesus never throws it back in front of his face. And I wonder why. Could it be that what Peter experienced was more than enough correction? Could it be that with the moment he walked away, weeping bitterly, ready to go back to his old way of life, was more than enough? Instead, you know what Jesus did? Jesus restored him and sent him on his way.
And not long after this, Peter stands up in front of a crowd and he preaches the revelation of Jesus. And over 3,000 people come to Christ and God's church was started that day. Amen? So tell me, it's not important to get up. You need to get up. You need to wake up. You need to process the failure for a minute. Grab its lessons and learn them, but keep on moving. His plans are greater than your failures and your failures are never final. Peter would rise up from his failure and fulfill all the words that Jesus spoke over him. And I want you to hear this today. So can you. God has spoken prophetically over every one of you. He has a plan and a purpose for you that is crystal clear. You need to be responsible enough to discover it and to go after it and trust him with it. But even in your greatest failures, you have to understand that his plan still remains. His love still conquers all fear. I think Peter shows us today, it's not how you run the race, it's how you finish the race. Peter would go to build the church, to be the rock that Jesus declared he would be. And I find it awfully funny that God chose to write a whole lot more about Peter's accomplishments than Peter's failures. I bet you Peter never had a problem with thinking that he knew more than Jesus did. I think humility was Peter's new best friend. So as you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning and we begin to pray, I want us to wrestle with this. I want us to get real honest with ourselves. Some of you, it may be a recent failure, one that's really fresh in your mind. Others of you, it may be a failure from the past that's kind of got you living cautiously and not freely. I believe God sent me here today to invite you back into a friendship with Jesus. No matter where you find yourself at today,
suffered long for us, God. You've walked with our rebellion. You've walked with our disobedience. You've walked with our failures time and time and time and time again. Yet you were still there to pick us up. Still there to dust us off. Still there to invite us in. I am so grateful today that you don't change your mind about me. And today, Lord, I want to rebuke every lie of the enemy. I bind up every lie in the name of Jesus on this earth just as it is in heaven. And every person that's bound by the lies of the enemy, I declare you loosed in the name of Jesus right now. Right now. It's broken off of you right now. Failure is never final. Thank you. 